being intentional with your time with the kids that you have and the team that you have with support. Also asking the case manager for a snapshot of the IEP. It really allows you to have that kind of close by to know in general what they're working on or what their weaknesses are so that you can stay aware of the needs throughout the day or how you can tweak things as you are preparing lessons to help the learner have the most productive time in your classroom. We are Megan and Alyssa, former teachers and founders of Pop PD, a peer learning platform for K-12 educators. On the extracurricular podcast, we're interviewing the most passionate, forward-thinking educators to uncover tangible strategies you can use in your classroom right away. Don Ellis has been teaching for over 13 years in elementary and preschool special education and has an educational specialist degree in special education. Don also is a national board certified teacher in the area of exceptional needs specialist. She has worked with inclusion, resource, severe, profound, and autism classrooms throughout the years. She's an award-winning educator, including a state finalist for Teacher of the Year, as well as other awards within the district and state. When not teaching, Dawn is a mom, an avid reader, and also a podcaster. She has a podcast specifically designed for special education teachers called Be the Exception to gain weekly tips to use in their classrooms. She also maintains a blog, a sticker shop, a TPT store, and a social media presence as Cultivating Exceptional Minds, where she creates and shares time-saving strategies and resources for special education teachers. If you're a general education teacher trying to navigate supporting students with IEPs, you're going to want to listen to this episode. Dawn breaks special education way down for us from what all the terminology means to how to work with the special education team to communication strategies with families and so much more. Dawn has some great advice for setting your students up for success and how to work through the process of advocating for your students, even if they haven't yet been identified as a student with special needs. Tune in on your car ride to school to be inspired by all the knowledge Dawn drops in this episode. We know you'll love it. Both the Extracurricular Podcast and That Teacher Podcast are brought to you by the team at Pop PD. Our mission is to empower teachers to connect with one another around sharing teaching strategies, tips, tricks, and ideas you actually want, creating a learning experience as dynamic as you are. We know you need access to ongoing, relevant resources to support your teaching career, and it's our mission to help you feel fully supported as a modern educator. Check out our platform now at poppd.co to sign up for your free interactive workspace where you can access ideas and strategies for teaching, organize your favorite teaching ideas, and add your own notes and to-dos to keep everything in one easy-to-access spot. We have new challenges every month to help inspire you on topics like podcasting with your students and using ChatGPT to make communicating with families easier. If you're a school leader or instructional coach in charge of PD, you'll love our platform for curating your own PD library from our content or easily adding your own content to share with your teachers. And of course, we have a community space where you can come together with other teachers around the world to get advice, to laugh, to cry, to vent, whatever you need. It's off of Facebook. It's our little corner of the internet where we can be ourselves. Just click the community button on poppd.co and we'll see you there.
All right. We'd like to welcome Dawn to the Extracurricular Podcast. We're so excited to have you here, Dawn. Hi, Elsa. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I wish everybody could see your background because it's so cute if you're watching, if you watch this on YouTube. I love your background. Cultivating Exceptional Minds is the name of, of your business. And you talk about all things in the world of, of special education. So walk us through how you became interested in special education. How did your journey in education begin? Sure. So like Alyssa said, my name is Dawn Ellis. I have been teaching for 13 years and my journey has definitely looked like something like this. So I was actually homeschooled as a high schooler. And during that time, I got to nanny a family and there was a kid, an autistic kid that I had the opportunity to work with that really just needed some extra time, love, and attention to little intricate parts to make his day function a lot easier. And so I was already an education major. I was dual enrolled. And when I saw that, I was like, maybe I don't just want like general education or middle school education. I think I want to check out special education. So I started taking courses on it, actually just to better help him. And from there, it really grew a love and a passion. So I continued from my undergrad to my master's program. And I actually moved into more of the early childhood. Like, what can we do earlier on to help reduce the struggle in junior high and high school? So like, could we like, what are interventions that could be provided, early intervention, preschool services? So I've really taken the focus to looking into those things. And so that's kind of where um, I've honed in and then did my EDS uh, with that as well. So I was just able to really take um, a kind of a life experience that I had early on, and it's kind of shaped my career, but always being that lifelong learner. Um, I've then become a national board certified in as an exceptional needs specialist as well in this area. So really just constantly trying to find strategies, different kinds of trends and articles to help me not only better myself as an educator, because I am still in the classroom, but also help other special educators learn things and do things easier that I had to kind of learn the hard way all along the way. So that was kind of how I uh, became interested in special ed and my journey to today. That's great. I actually had a really similar journey. I, um, my nephew has Down syndrome. And when I was going to college for education, I did the same thing. I thought I looked at the dual enrollment and thought, well, I'll take the special education classes because I was working with him. I was, I was babysitting him and I thought, oh, this will help me kind of work with him. He was a preschool age at the time yeah. and he was also homeschooled. So he um, was learning at home. And then when I took the classes in special education, I was like, even if I'm in regular education, I will need all of this stuff. And sure enough, the like I, I ended up teaching regular ed second grade and they're throwing all these acronyms at you, IEP and this and that. And I'm thinking, if I didn't have this background, I would be so lost yeah. as to all, first of all, all the acronyms, but also <laughs> strategies to use and, and also how to make the classroom inclusive for all types of learners. So to dive into kind of like the next part of this, I'd love to talk because we have all all teachers, K-12, all areas listening to this podcast. If I am teaching in regular education, but I have students in my class with IEPs or 504s or, or just any needs in general, what are some steps I can take to make the classroom more inclusive? Right. So I definitely love that question. And I think that the the mindset is 
you know, make inclusion work for your classroom. It's not necessarily going to look the same in your classroom as it is another second grade classroom, but taking time to truly know what the plan is and what it says. If you can, I know it, we all are busy as educators trying to get our never ending to-do list done. However, taking time to get to know the special educator and reading the IEP to know what the student does struggle in or maybe what their target areas are or even knowing the accommodations or modifications because having those things kind of in place and having the mindset of you're going to help all the students in your class not just the ones that you just get to tell one time and they get it and they don't have any other problems but also the ones that you may learn that have a variety of different needs, maybe they need things repeated or they need things chunked, which means just taking an assignment and breaking it into smaller pieces and giving it to them one at a time so it doesn't create that sense of overwhelm and so then they shut down. So kind of learning as a general ed teacher of making sure all your kids are engaged, but not providing too much prompts or supports, but also not providing not enough supports that they're always hitting that frustration level. And so I would really say, you know, making sure that you go into the year with a fresh mindset of I'm going to serve all of my kids and in getting to know that special educator and collaborating with her. I think that's the beauty of what collaboration and inclusion is supposed to look like is because it is supposed to be a team effort. And so getting to know your special educator and talking about, well, I'm really struggling with this, or this is always happening at this point of the day. What can we do to help reduce that? So taking time to be reflective as well. And that's great. And I think it's, um, it's so hard at the beginning of the year with all of the chaos that's happening, right? But I think your point of kind of really having that be such an important intention to kind of step into the year with. I know my first few years of teaching, I taught um, high school sophomores and seniors mostly. And the first couple of years, it was like, okay, I got to go into the room and read the IEPs and you got to kind of sign off that you've read them. And I'm like, just kind of frantically kind of looking and it almost was overwhelming for me to look at all the IEPs and thinking, how right. am I going to manage all this? But over time, kind of adopting a practice of knowing that I had to carve out the time to go sit and look at all of those. Like this is just kind of part of my beginning of the year prep. And it's hard because sometimes you have to wait a a week or two in because kids drop and change classes, at least at the high school level, it's a little more common. Um, But once I kind of built that in to my beginning of the year and had that mindset, I find it found it so much more helpful and kind of setting a, a tracker up for myself, listing those points of contact for those students and really kind of building a system around it with paired with that mindset, I think that was so helpful as far as kind of taking that bigger picture before then diving in on the day-to-day and being able to be more effective. So that's a great kind of thing. Obviously, we're uh, at the point now where a lot of people are kind of either already done or winding down school, but a good thing to kind of take into summer and think like, I really want to start that off with a good foot when I come back to school in the fall. For sure. Yeah. I actually think we're going to publish this in back to school, so it'll be perfect. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> right now we're recording. It's uh, summertime, but it'll be back to school. I'd yes. love to kind of like double click on this idea of um, really working with the special educators or support services, anybody that's sort of on this team to support the students in your classroom. Um, I, I was in a scenario where I was teaching, um, co-teaching with a regular education teacher for the first time. And I remember that we struggled. I mean, we, we got along really well, but it's so hard to 
work together, when you have different teaching styles and different different things that you have to do, different things on your to-do list, right? You're all there to support these students, but it is hard to kind of, somebody put it as like, she has her chocolate chip cookie recipe, her, her way of teaching. You have your chocolate chip cookie recipe, your way of teaching, and I have to figure out how to put them together to make the best combination. So any suggestions, Dawn, for for working together with the support services to best serve the child. Sure. So I think that it's funny that you say chocolate chip cookie or recipes. I always like to say like Goldilocks and um, the three bears and how they like their porridge different temperatures. So like everybody's a little bit different and yeah, trying to find that like happy medium. Um, But I do think that the collaboration and taking time for you and your co-teacher or your special educator to chat, even having an, having an agenda to um, target. And so it's not just time to hang out or chat. Like you're actually trying to work on finding a solution for this problem or a way to target this lesson, whatever it looks like in that aspect. So taking time to be a collaborative team member, but being respectful and having that, um, that receptive kind of reflective attitude towards like, okay, is this working or is it not? How can we come together to find a solution mutually? Also knowing that there's a variety of different models of co-teaching that uh, depending on the type of needs of the kids that you have this year will allow you to make sure that you have the support that you need at the times that you need. So, you know, it may be that you just need somebody to pull your small group to reteach some things in a section, or maybe it's team teaching where you're taking um, turns teaching the same content, but in your different style. I think that so many times as a general teacher, their plates are full, just like special educators, just with the different things, but just being intentional with, your time with the kids that you have and the team that you have with supports, knowing the related services that the students have as well. And when I say related services, I'm talking about like speech therapy, occupational therapy, maybe even some behavior supports from say an RBT or a BCBA, but knowing that they have those supports and knowing maybe even what they're working on, which I like to even, I know we talked about earlier, taking time to read the IEP but also asking the case manager for a snapshot of the IEP. It really allows you to have that kind of close by to know in general what they're working on or what their weaknesses are so that you can stay aware of the needs throughout the day or how you can tweak things as you are preparing lessons uh, to help the learner um, have the most productive time in your classroom. And so taking the time to collaborate, being a team player and helping find those solutions and and having that snapshot close by that you can refer to quickly, I definitely think are ways to provide that inclusivity within your classroom. Can you break down for us? So I'm just envisioning maybe a new teacher, a new regular education teacher is listening to this podcast, didn't didn't do the dual certification, so doesn't have necessarily the background in special education, and now has like these acronyms and these different related service providers and an IEP. And I love the idea of like a snapshot. Let's start with, can you can you walk us through like what are the most important parts of the IEP that a regular education teacher should be 
paying attention to or that would be in that snapshot? Sure. So I have a snapshot um, in my TPT shop, but ultimately it just gives their exceptionality. It gives their birth date, maybe even when their IEP is due. So, you know, there's an upcoming IEP meeting, maybe in the month of March, just where you're aware. I like to include any kind of medical information that the um, teacher may need to know about the IEP goals and the services. Um, A lot of people also print out just that profile page that gives just a general synopsis, not only of where the kid is academically and socially, but also just a variety of like the input from the previous year of the learner's progress that has been made and all of the information that may pertain to the kid, but it doesn't quite fit in that snapshot. But to me, the snapshot is just showing like the IEP goals the services or any kind of accommodations that the teacher needs to be aware of in those areas. So like if there's any kind of testing accommodations or if there's any just general daily, like if they need a brain break or a sensory break when this thing starts to happen in the classroom, if you give them that 15 minute break, then this big, huge behavior doesn't happen. But if you don't take time to read that and then this, you know, large behavior implodes, well, is that, Is that the kid's fault or is that the teacher's fault? I'm not really sure. But by taking the time to have A, that snapshot and B, reading over that material, it helps kind of keep everything at bay and help support the kid throughout the day. So I feel like those are the kinds of information that you would make sure need to hone in on because I know time is limited. And I know in my IEPs in the district I work with, I make sure and take time to write in to the supplementary aids and services uh, time to actually collaborate at the beginning of the year with each general ed teacher for the learners that they have in their classroom. And so if there are any special educators listening to this episode, that would be one thing that I would encourage them to make sure and do, because if you're intentional with a special, the general ed teacher, it then sets the tone for the whole year of that collaboration and that connection point and having the information for the teacher to review and asking her about it. Hey, did you have a chance to review this information or can I keep, you know, watch your kids for 30 minutes on the second Tuesday of the month so that you have time to review over this information, just being intentional and kind of having that give and take of um, that collaborative, inclusive teacher to um, make sure that all team members are fully on board and see the big picture for each of the learners that have an educational plan. And so many insights that you can gain, you know, if that special educator has worked with a student for a number of years, you know, even, you know, there's great information and reporting that happens in those documents, but even just kind of the little anecdotes or little things that they know that student loves that you can, you know, things that would be great to know from a past teacher for any student where you can kind of connect with them. I think that sounds like that kind of is a great opportunity to really just get to know the whole kid a little bit more and to have a sense of, you know, who they are and, and how you can, how you can connect with them. I think just to come back to it too, though, all the things that you're, that you're sharing here are great um, for all of our teachers to keep in mind. And uh, of course I have to come in and just amp up the idea that like having an organization and a system for that, a play, if you're a paper person, having kind of your folders or your section of your cabinet that you have all organized with those materials so that it really is easy for you to kind of pull those out as needed. Or of course, if it's me, I'm a tech person, 
I'm already envisioning some kind of spreadsheet that I'm making, you know, to kind of try and organize some of that information. But that just makes that collaboration and all those insights that you gain so much easier to access and maybe helps helps kind of reduce some of that overwhelm a little bit. But you can really kind of maximize those moments that you have with not only the students, but, you know, your colleagues who are kind of also working with that student. For sure. Do you have any suggestions for if uh, a teacher is working with a student who does not already have an IEP or a 504 plan in place, but they're struggling, the teacher's noticing that the student is struggling with something and they're starting that whole process of just really noticing what's going on and they're needing some support. How can they start to lean on the support of the other uh the special educators in the building when time is already crunched, but they are needing that support. Do you have any suggestions for working together in those situations? Sure. So a lot of times with kids who are not identified in any kind of umbrella, whether that is 504 or an IEP or an EL plan, if a co-teacher is in the classroom, she doesn't have to just work with the kids that are identified that are on her caseload. She can actually pull other learners as well uh, to provide small group instruction or to reteach skills that are being taught. If a student is struggling in the classroom, I would also encourage the general ed teacher to start documenting early. And that doesn't have to look like a dissertation. That is just keeping notes of the time of day when they are struggling or when or what they are struggling with, if it's a constant behavior, looking at some different, we call them accommodations in special ed, but looking at some different supports that you could put in place for anybody. Um, I feel like so many times, a lot of the accommodations that we have for IEPs can be provided for kids that don't have IEPs too. It's really when we get into the type of modification, when you're changing the material, the skill set that's when it's not okay to do for a kid that doesn't have an IEP. So if you have someone that's not identified, I would just encourage you to make sure that you're talking to your co-teacher again, just to find strategies or accommodations that you can provide, but also documenting not only the issue that they are having, but what all you have done and exhausted that hasn't worked so that if there comes a time that there needs to be a referral made to special ed or to 504, you have the documentation of what's been working, what hasn't been working, and what all you've done up to that point. Uh, and you're not just going to the meeting and you're like, well, I'm here. Uh, they need a plan. You know, they because, you know, data is what drives so many of our decisions in education. And same goes for learners that may eventually need a plan as well. So many different, I want to do almost like a glossary of terms here before we go any further. I probably should have done this in the beginning, but okay. Just like lightning round definitions. Can you tell us the difference between an accommodation and a modification? Okay. An accommodation is what is being taught and a modification is how it is taught. So if you have to change it at all, that's a modification. If you're just changing, you know, in a small group or if it has to be read aloud or if you need to have it chunked into smaller pieces, that's not changing the assignment or what is being asked of the learner and the learning standards. Those are accommodations. It's whenever you have to take it down a few notches, they don't know, you know, instead of learning 
you know, about force and matter or for, yeah, force of motion, you, uh, you may have to take it down several notches and practice pushing and pulling inside the classroom instead of learning all the different terminology. That may be a modification. Um, and so just taking those two, um, so what and how is to answer your question. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Can you also walk us through uh, kind of a, the quick definition and difference between 504, IEP, and you mentioned EL plans? Ooh, okay. So I feel like IEPs are my zone of genius, but ultimately an IEP provides accommodations, modifications for a child that is deemed eligible under the 13 disability categories for special education. A 504 is usually just for accommodations, usually deemed for like medical or you can also have a 504 for like some diagnoses that aren't impeding their learning or the learning of others like an IEP plan is that they need more supports. And then an EL um, or English language, um, those are for learners that English isn't their first language and need some language support. You're so good. I'm like putting you right on the spot here. I think we also might have mentioned a BIP. Can you define that too? Sure. So a BIP is just a behavior intervention plan. Along with that, usually an FBA is um, done to create a BIP and an FBA is a um, functional behavior assessment. And that's where you're looking at the ABCs, which is the antecedent, the behavior, and then the consequence of like what's done before the behavior, what is the behavior and what's happening after the behavior. So just some more acronyms. Uh, yes, because it really is an acronym world over in special education. <laughs> Who usually does that? Who's, who's doing the functional behavior assessment and how does that get kicked off? If I have a student that's struggling with a behavior and I, I, I know it can be different from school to school and how they put together their teams and such, but like who typically is in charge of that? Sure. So it does definitely vary. I've worked in a couple districts and um, it can be the special education teacher. It could also be a facilitator over maybe your campus. But a lot of times I know in the district that I currently work at, the BCBA, which is a behavior it's a behavior analyst. And so they are coming in and doing the FBA and writing the behavior plan and they help monitor that as well. Now, a lot, so in where I am right now, so that's how it's done. So the behavior specialist writes it and monitors it, but we take the data, the IEP team, well, the special educator and the paraprofessionals take the data within the classroom, but then the behavior specialist monitors it. That isn't necessarily the case everywhere. Um, I've worked in other districts where I've had to write the whole plan, do the FBA, and uh, and then implement it as well. Wow. Okay. Thank you for taking us through all of those. I think that's going to be really helpful, especially for teachers who are, are kind of listening and trying to get a sense of how to kind of support their students. But then you feel, I remember feeling when I was new, like I did not want to ask what anything meant, but I would be thoroughly confused. <laughs> I'd be Googling things in my classroom after a meeting. So that's definitely going to help someone. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's really funny because I feel like, you know, I feel like I know a lot of terms and then I'll look at somebody else's acronym sheet and I'm like, I have no idea what like 10 of those things are, or they mean something different. So don't be afraid to ask. Um, your special education team, what they mean and how they apply to you. Because we told, I feel like so many times 
I could talk in a totally different acronym language and I have to catch myself and just slow down. And especially when I'm with parents or lab students or interns to make sure and take them along in the journey as well. (laughs) I love that. All right. I'll ask one more question and then we'll jump into our lightning round, even though that felt like a lightning round. But I wanted to ask, and especially as you bring up parents, we're talking a lot about communication between the um, the general education teacher, the special education team. What about bringing in families? Do you have any suggestions for communicating with families as part of the support team for a student? Yeah, I think that my number one recommendation here is taking time for the special educator to reach out to the family as well. So, so many times we have like meet the teacher and we send home this cute little form telling us all about the general ed teacher. Don't be afraid to do that as a case manager as well. Um, Because uh, in having that initiation of like, hey, I'm going to be helping your learner this year. Um, And same thing goes for the teacher, like make sure that you're reaching out to them. But by both the special educator and the general ed teacher reaching out to the parents and then finding out the mode of communication that the parent prefers. Is it email? Is it text? Is it um, something in a folder that you need to write home? Whatever that looks like, make sure that you're both on the same page there to provide that communication and then also ask them, how often do you want to communicate? Do you want me to communicate with you? Now, if they say like three times a day, obviously that's not realistic and you have to be, you know, realistic within your day, but do they want things once a month, maybe a picture update, or do they want a weekly a recap of how they did, or do they want something every single day? So that way you are providing that initiation of like, we want to communicate. We want to tell you what's going on. We want to know, we want to let you know how they are doing, but also being mindful of what their time allows as well. Um, And by establishing that at the beginning of the year by both parties, it really allows the rest of the year to flow. Because if there is an issue or a concern, you can easily address it. And I think that also brings us back to if there is an issue between in general education or with a special educator or with a parent, don't be afraid to call an IEP meeting to where everybody can join in on a meeting to kind of get back on the same page. If there is a point where you feel like maybe somebody is off and not on the same playing field as everybody else, or if you just feel like maybe accommodations or the supports that are currently in the plan aren't working, don't be afraid. The beauty of an IEP is that it's an amendable uh, document and that allows us to create change, tweak, prove that things have been mastered and put new things in place if needed. I love that. You've got to adjust it. You're, it's kind of growing with the child and, and I love looking at it as the team's kind of goal to make this the document that helps the child be the most successful and then adding and amending and changing as we learn more about how that child learns. I wanted to also call out, I love the way you said, don't be afraid to send home your meet the teacher. When I was in that co-teaching experience as a special educator, I felt so included by the general education teacher. She put my name on everything. My name was on the door, every letter that went home, every meet the teacher. It was so nice. And honestly, I don't think the kids knew that I was a special education teacher. They just thought that they were lucky enough to have two teachers. And that was a beautiful thing and made me feel really included in, in the classroom as well. So great advice there. Okay, Megan, do you want to get into that lightning round? 
You know I do. All right. So, uh, Don, first uh, question in our lightning round is, what is like a go-to activity or game that you like to do with students when you're kind of trying to fill some extra time or want to take a nice break with them? Okay, so technically I have two answers, and depending on the time and the ability levels of the kids, I love a good escape room because the kids can um, do it with some camaraderie. You can, I know I have some that are adapted as well, so all learners can do it, and it provides some independence and it provides some competitiveness to where they're wanting to get it done. They hardly realize that they're learning. And then number two would probably be the use of board games. I think that they are very underrated and so many times there are so many um, practical skills, but also some reinforcing skills that can be done. And I would say definitely that Uno is probably our top favorite um, card or board game, uh, followed by Guess Who in our classroom. And they're working on so many different skills and they don't even realize it. Yes. Love that. That's great. I love it. Right. You don't always have to reinvent the wheel, right? There are amazing games out there that already exist that you can just pull right out of your pocket. That's perfect. Especially something like Uno, which a lot of people are already familiar with, really easy to pick up and easy to store, right? Just a little little thing of cards. You just throw it in your closet, right? Categories. I love that one. Oh, so many good ones. I I always did apples to apples with my uh, room. It's a good good one. Um, All right. Next uh, lightning round question, Don. What is uh, the funniest thing that has happened to you in the classroom before? Okay. So, so you know how they're, so it's, it's going to be funny, but just bear with me. So you know how um, there's all kinds of Amazon finds, right? Of like teacher's clothes, OOTDs, right? And I got my, like these new pair of leggings and I was bragging all morning how much I love them. And then I like go to teach and like, they were split wide open. And, um, and like, I've ne- like y'all, I'm telling you this happened like seven years ago and I still hear about it because it was like my paraprofessionals were rolling on the floor. So since then, like I've had to find like obviously more quality things, but they were like, we ain't buying anything from you from Amazon or like whatever. But it was just funny because like I thought they were like the thing and they were so soft and smooth, but they did not last three hours. Um, So thankfully we returned those, but and thankfully, there wasn't like a ton of kids and it didn't split in an area that could have been terrible. But it was just like, I still remember that. And it's just like, I mean, you can't make those things up. Um, so it was <laughs> malfunction at its finest. Yes. Yeah, so um, so when I do any kind of like outfit reviews, I make sure that they're quality. <laughs> Love it. It's good. A good lesson that you learned early on, right? <laughs> Amazing. All right. And our last one. Um, one. I love that in the beginning, when you were talking about your journey, you emphasize that you're a lifelong learner, as I think a lot of teachers are. It's kind of a part of part of who we are. So what is your favorite way to kind of keep learning now? Like what are, you know, go-to ways that you kind of continue to learn and inspire um, in your practice? Sure. I think that, I think that one way that I definitely stay up to date is is through just listening to a variety of different podcasts in my domain area of special education and provide content on my own podcast for special educators. So just, um, but uh, okay, I'm going to let you in on something. I truly find some of my favorite strategies over on TikTok. I think that so many um, social media, like, it's just like, oh my gosh, I learned that in 30 seconds and like, I can go quickly apply this and you're just like, ah. So yeah, I think that there are so many things uh, on, on TikTok or Instagram or like on social media that, 
you know, oh, this is working in your classroom. Let me try it too. Don't be afraid to just like hone in on some of those things or even sharing uh, things that are working in your classroom because somebody else is struggling in that area and you can be the quick fix. So I would say that. We are all about the, you know, open access and uh, alternative ways of accessing learning content over here at Pop PD. So we fully, <laughs> fully stamp and approve that answer. <laughs> oh my gosh, Don, this was great. You're wonderful. Where can educators connect with you if they want to learn more from you? Sure. So I am cultivating exceptional minds. I have a blog, TPT store. I'm on TikTok and Instagram all under that handle. I also have a podcast for special educators. It's called Be The Exception. It is on all listening platforms. So make sure and check that out. I've got over 165 episodes that you can binge listen to um, this summer at the beginning of the school year. Uh, And then I also have an Etsy shop of teacher stickers and tees that um, you can check out. And that is Stick Out Design Co. They're beautiful and you must follow Dawn on TikTok. She's the best. Thank you so much, both of you, Dawn and Megan, and we will see the listeners in the next episode. If you had a light bulb moment during this episode or you thought of an idea to share, join us inside our podcast community to tell us your thoughts on both the extracurricular and that teacher podcast. We have a space for you to comment and chat with one another about each episode We believe that sharing our experiences as educators is what keeps us moving, learning, and experiencing more of a sense of connection. You can join us inside the community to access all the podcast episodes and the discussion prompts. Just click on join community when you go to poppd.co.